All right, well, good morning. It is good to see those of you who are with us on campus this morning, and thank you to those who are joining online as well. We look forward to seeing you again someday soon. Um, I just want to say a special hello and thank you to those who are visiting with us for the first time. We are so glad to have you as our guest, or if you're watching with us online for the first time, we're so glad that you are joining us. Uh, we would love to know who you are. Uh, you can stop by one of the welcome tables on your way out, uh, or uh, you can come and say hello to one of our leaders at the front of the stage at the end of the service, or uh, if you're with us online, or even if you'd prefer to do it this way, if you're with us on campus, you can text the word CONNECT. Uh, to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our staff will follow up with you this week. Before we get started this morning, I know we just prayed, but I really feel like uh, we should uh, open up uh, our time in the Word with a time of prayer. Uh, yesterday, I talked uh, on the phone with uh, Osram Comble. Uh, he is the pastor who leads the um, network of churches that we support as a church. Uh, Ostrom and I have been friends for nine years. It's hard to believe that. Uh, and he is in India. And things, if you have not seen this on the news already, are, are bad uh, in India. Uh, he lives in the city of Mumbai, which is one of the most densely populated uh, places in the world. And um, he knows tons of people, family members who uh, have died of COVID, uh, who have COVID. Um, in the streets, people are dying who cannot be in the hospitals. Um, they have not met together as a church, uh, body, family, for over a year. His children have not been in school uh, for uh, over a year. And so um, they uh, need our prayers. With 50 to 60,000 people dying a day, uh, they need our prayers. As we think about that, we need to think about the fact that less than 2% of the population uh, claim to be Christians uh, and the numbers that are dying. Um, and also, as we think about that, I think it puts into perspective uh, where we live and the struggles that we live. And I, I just feel burdened to pray for um, us and our nation. I, I, I tend to avoid talking about anything that can seem political. And that's not because I'm scared of saying what I think, because if you know me, then you know that is not true about me. And if you don't know, just ask my wife. In fact, it's the opposite. I say what I think too much. Um, but I just, I just want to be cautious about de detracting from the main thing. And I really want Sunday as we gather to really put our eyes on the kingdom of God and, and in spite of what might be going on around us. But um, I don't know the answer here. But I can tell you that as I go to small businesses and businesses and see the struggle they're having with employees because of the response that our government has had to the pandemic, I'll just say if something doesn't change, it's going to be bad. And um, we live in a day in which truth can't be defined and justice is hard to define. And, and yet we don't put things into perspective of what they're dealing with in places like India. And so I, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. So if you'll pray with me. God, I just come to you this morning with the full realization of how small I am, how little I can do about any of this. And I come to you knowing how powerful you are and knowing how good you are. And so, Lord, I pray for every level of government 
in our community to our nation. And I ask you who are the ultimate king to guide them even when their intention is not to honor you or do the right thing, to guide them. God, I pray that you would give wisdom uh, to the believers who are in these positions and, and your common grace would give wisdom to those who are not believers to do what is best for freedom and to do what is best for the flourishing of your church ultimately uh, so that people can see you. God, I pray for business owners and and people in management as they figure out what to do here. I just pray for um, those whose desire truly is the betterment of other people and betterment of a community to to flourish and to prosper. And uh, I just trust you, Lord, and I pray that uh, you would give us wisdom in what to do in this time and how we should speak in these times. God, I pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in India. Lord God, we, we pray for recovery. We pray for healing. Uh, and God, we ultimately pray that they can be light in this time of darkness as your church. Um, and so God, even as we open your word this morning, I just pray that our hearts would be yielded to you, submitted to you, and listen to what you would have to say and what you want to do in and through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going through the gospel of Mark as a church for about the next year or so, and we started out in Mark chapter 1. We've titled our time in Mark chapter 1, He is greater than I because he is greater than we are. We began by looking at the baptism of Jesus and how that shows us the greatness of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about the temptation of Jesus and, and how that shows how great Jesus is. And today, we are talking about the message of Jesus. We'll be in Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to read two verses today uh, to start our time this morning, and that's chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. A decent amount happens between the temptation of Jesus that is, uh, you know, stopped talking, discussed, stopped being discussed in chapter 13, and the Galilean ministry, which begins in verse 14. So once John the Baptist is arrested. Jesus begins his ministry there, and I'm going to read verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus, as we read on, is going to call his disciples. We'll talk about that next week. But we need to understand that the message of Jesus is what provoked the disciples to follow him. And it summarizes here in verse 14 and 15 what Jesus came to teach as he taught in Galilee and beyond. This is incredibly important for us to understand as we think about who Jesus was and what it means to live for Jesus. However, I don't think that this is emphasized by Bible teachers or by Christians like it should be. And today what I want to do is I want to break the message of Jesus down for us. So understand that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of God. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of God. 
The word gospel is a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. Ligonier Ministries sums up what the good news is and what this word, euangelion, gospel, means for us very well. In their commentary, they talk about how in ancient days, soldiers would go out to battle. And when they went out to battle, people waited breathlessly, anxiously for a report from the battlefield about the outcome of that battle. Once the outcome was known, marathon runners dashed back to give the report. This is why Isaiah writes this phrase, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So the watchman in the watchtower would look as far as the eye could see into the distance, waiting for this marathon runner to come back. And finally, he would see the dust moving as the runner sped back to the city to give report of the battle. The watchmen were trained to tell by the way the runner's legs were churning whether the news was good or bad. If the runner was doing the survival shuffle, it indicated a grim report. But if his legs were flying and the dust was kicking up, that meant good news. This is why the dancing messengers didn't last very long because it was confusing what they were saying. That's why we as Baptists don't believe in dancing because it's just confusing. I made that up, by the way, in case you didn't know. So this is the concept of the good news. This is the concept of the gospel in its simplest Form And what Jesus was doing, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says, is he was proclaiming the good news of God. He was proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, let's unpack what the gospel of God is by looking at what Mark tells us the gospel of God is that Jesus was proclaiming. The first thing Mark tells us is that the time is fulfilled. He tells us in verse 15 that the time is fulfilled. That Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The, the Greek word kairos, which means time, refers to an appointed time, a measure of time, a season of time. And, and what Jesus is saying is that time is up. It's full. It can also be translated as complete. The time is complete. You have been waiting for this season to come to fruition, for this time to happen, and it is here, it is complete. Now, many days in my house, we are having so much fun as a family, watching, we watch a movie in the evening or playing sports outside or, or we're just joking around after eating dinner or playing a board game that it's so hard to actually put the kids to bed because we're just having a great time. I said many days because some days it's the exact opposite. And at 4.30 in the afternoon, I am thinking, when is bedtime? And mom and dad are eagerly waiting for it to be bedtime. And I'm going to start saying the time is fulfilled because it is that. This is what Jesus is saying to this audience. You've been waiting for this time to be fulfilled, and it is fulfilled. Now, understand the setting in which Jesus walked into. He walked into, uh, he's doing a ministry in Galilee. This is a region of Judea, which is heavily influenced by 
Judaism, by Old Testament um, belief in God. And there were thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament about a time, or maybe some would say times, to come. A time in which there would be justice. A time in which there would be God's victory. A time in which God's people would reign. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. It's here. Now, when we look at prophecy of the Old Testament, a lot of us tend to think about those prophecies revolving around the generation we live in. I mean, really, every generation does that. Jesus is coming back during this time, or these prophecies refer to this time, because we're arrogant. What we need to realize is most of those Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. The time is fulfilled because Jesus was there. Jesus is what had been promised to God's people. Jesus himself is what had been promised to God's people. There in the Old Testament was talked about this day in which God would pour out his spirit and people would have a clearer way of connecting with God, an easier, a new way of connecting with God. In the Old Testament, it talked about the days when there would be a Messiah who would bring salvation. There would be a king who was coming. And most people thought that that Messiah and that king, that anointed one, and that Davidic king were two different people. But what Jesus is saying is the promises of God are being fulfilled now in him. And with this king, there is a kingdom, which the Old Testament had told us about, we saw as a picture and was promised to be true for God's people again. And Jesus says, second thing about the gospel, the good news of God, is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's within reach. That's what it means that something is at hand. Well, what is within reach of who Jesus is talking to? Jesus. Jesus is within reach. I think that this is probably the most overlooked thing about the Bible. And honestly, until it was clearly articulated to me and pointed out to me, I did not give it the importance that it deserves. But we have what Jesus is saying here, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in the New Testament, <laughs> it's mentioned a 162 times. I want to highlight just a few of those uh, to show you the emphasis because I would love to read 162 of them, but not all of you would. And our children's ministry wouldn't like me to do that either. So let's, let's start with Luke chapter 4, verse 42 and 43, where Jesus tells us his purpose. Look at what Jesus says. Luke 44, 40, Luke verse 4, verse 40. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus says, the reason I'm here is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So I can't stay in this town because I've got to preach that in another town as well. Now, when people are asked, why did Jesus come? 
to the world, you get answers like to save us, um, to show us who God was, to teach us about God, all good answers. But I rarely ever hear people mention, well, the reason Jesus said he came was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, not only was Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and said that's why he was here, but in the time period in between the resurrection of Jesus when he rose from the grave and the ascension of Jesus when he went to heaven, that's 40 days, Jesus is here spending time with his disciples. Look at what Acts tells us about that time. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I think it's pretty significant that Luke records for us that what Jesus is doing during those 40 days is teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. Now, it's important for us to realize that this is not our natural way of thinking about the kingdom of God. And it was not for the disciples either. Look, look at what Luke goes on to say in, in verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We talked about that two weeks ago, that John said Jesus was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts that indeed that comes true because God gives the Holy Spirit to his church. That's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit that it's given to believers. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So... Is Israel going to be the powerful nation now? Are we finally going to have the Romans from, you know, above us, and now they're going to be under us? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power where the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They're asking if Jerusalem is going to be to power again, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you my power, and you're going to be witnesses of my kingdom in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. They are thinking earthly kingdom. He's thinking heavenly kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And they got it. They grasped this, and they carried this message into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Philip goes into Samaria, out of Judea, into Samaria, Acts chapter 8 verse 12 tells us, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. You see, that's the message that Philip brings to the Samaritans, that Samaritans, that the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. When Paul and Barnabas go into Asia, taking the gospel there, Acts chapter 14, verse 21 and 22 tells us, when they preached the gospel to that city and it made many disciples, they returned to Lustra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through 
many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When Paul goes to Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 8, it says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Whenever he's giving his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20, verse 25, it says, Paul says, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. When he's in Rome, Acts chapter 28, verse 23 says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And the last words of Acts are this, Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. He lived there, that's Paul, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's very clear from the New Testament that the message of Jesus was the kingdom of God and that the message his disciples carried was the kingdom of God. It's central to Christianity. And this is why it was opposed. This is why people had a problem with the spread of Christianity because they were proclaiming a kingdom of God. Look what's said about the disciples in Acts chapter 17, verse 6 and 7. It says of them, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. This is the problem they have with Christianity, that Christianity is saying there's another king. There's someone who else who has ultimate authority besides Caesar. So if you're saying that you're living for the kingdom of God, which that's what Christianity is, then you are saying that there is another king, Jesus. If there is a kingdom here and now, which the Bible tells us there is, then there must be a king. And if there is a king, then he is ruling and reigning. My, 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 one of my mentors, Kevin Cox, says that. If there is a kingdom here and now, then there must be a king. And if there is a king, then he is ruling. You guys can go ahead and put that up on the screen. He is ruling and reigning. That means that there is somebody who has more authority than whoever has authority in the nation you're in. That means that there's somebody who has more authority than whatever dictator there is or whatever conqueror there is or whatever leader that has been. Even Caesar, who is one of the most powerful men and positions that have ever existed. And so if we are people who believe in the kingdom of God being at hand and that there is a king, we are not living for an earthly kingdom. We are living for the kingdom of God. Our identity primarily is in the kingdom of God. Now here's our hesitancy towards that. If we say that our identity is ultimately in the kingdom of God, we are worried. What are the implications of that on our nation? What are the implications of that on... Um, whatever group it is we belong to, where our political identity is? What are the implications of that on our church? What are the implications of that on our family? And here is what I'm telling you. It's the truth that there's the kingdom of God. It's real. And if we don't acknowledge that, when we're not acknowledging the truth. 
And if we do submit ourselves to that, this is the good news of the gospel of God, that the time is fulfilled and that the kingdom is at hand. If we do submit ourselves to that, then I believe it gives greater purpose in the other roles that we fill in our life. It gives true meaning to what it means to be the citizen of a nation or state or whatever it may be. It gives true meaning to the roles we fill in our church and in our family because we are seeing them through the correct lens. But if we resist, if we resist belonging to the kingdom of God, then we need to repent. That's what I have come to understand that I need, if, if, if the gospel of God is proclaimed by Jesus and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, then I needed to say, hey, I wanna join that kingdom. I repent. Many of you, that's what you professed. And perhaps this morning, whether you're sitting here, or you're with us online this morning, you are recognizing you're not living for the kingdom of God. And that is the third part of the message of the good news of the gospel of God. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's what Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. The Greek word that's used for repent is mentanaya, which means to change your mind or your purpose. You're not just turning away from something, you're turning to something. You're turning to something. Often repentance is, is, is this is how Christians communicate repentance. We look at somebody, it's like they're playing football and they're on the field. And we're like, oh, that's out of bounds. Okay, so then they run this way. Oh, that's out of bounds too. Okay, and then they go this way. Oh, that's offsides. Oh, that's false start. And it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Right. That's, what, what, that's the message of Christianity. It's follow Jesus. It's change your mind or your purpose. Begin to see everything in light of who he is and what he tells you to do. That's where your identity lies. And when you believe, that's a Greek word, pisteo, which means you commit. You unite yourself to that kingdom. This is now where I'm living. To repent and believe means that we are changing our allegiance to King Jesus. To repent and believe means that we are changing our allegiance to King Jesus. I am no longer living for anything in this world, but I am now living for King Jesus. That's where my first allegiance lies. And everything else is viewed under that allegiance. I, I've said before, I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States without saying under God. I don't. Because my submission, my allegiance to anyone or anything is under the authority of God. It's submitted to God. And the gospel tells us that we can have a relationship with God, with that king, even if we've been living with our first allegiance to anything else. Even though the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we were enemies with God. That's, that's the gospel. I don't want to say in most, but I'll say in a lot of churches today, what is being taught is, hey, you're good. And if you join team Jesus, you'll be better. And your life will be better. 
And what I would say actually is probably taught is, hey, you're good. And if Jesus joins your team, think about how much better you and your team will be if he gets invited along for the ride. Now, I'm not saying that they're clearly saying that, even though there are probably some. But what's not being taught is the gospel. And the gospel is the reality that we're enemies of God. That we're living for ourselves. Now, common grace indeed may have caused us to be raised in an environment where we learned to do some good things apart from the motivation of Christ. But if we are living for ourselves, and even if we're being good to live for ourselves, and we ultimately see ourselves as the authority in our life, then we are saying, God, you're not in charge. You're not king. I'm king or queen. And that makes us the enemy of God because there will come a time, there comes a time in everybody's life where we choose, am I going to do God's will or my will? And perhaps you see the consequences of choosing to be king of your life this morning. But perhaps you don't see the consequences of choosing to be the king or authority in your life this morning. And what we do when we realize the kingdom of God is at hand. We repent and we believe in the gospel. And our security and our identity becomes in that and it's transformative in everything we do. And it doesn't necessarily mean all the roles we have in life will change, but it changes how we view all the roles that we have in life. And so we, we then live the way Jesus taught us to live. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's in a context of worrying about tomorrow. And Jesus says, you're not going to add a day to your life by worrying about tomorrow. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What it means to live, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is saying is if you're living for God and his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, God is going to take care of you, even in death. That's the security we have in our king. And this should be how we view our lives. Those of you who are on social media, you know that when you take a picture, and really I think Instagram made this pretty big, that you can use a filter, right? And now, probably five, 10 years ago, iPhones started having all these filters and every app has filters and it, it changes the way things look. And um, even if you say no filter, we all know you don't look that good. And, and it changes the way things look on there. 
And, uh, you know, this is, it does. It just changes the way we see things. It changes the way things are viewed when we have a filter. And we need to understand that we have, all have these filters when it comes to our life, and they affect how we view everything. One of the filters is the way we were brought up, you know, or maybe even reacting to the way we were brought up. Uh, one of those filters might be the experiences that we have in life that affects how we view uh, other experiences and other things and other issues, our personalities and preferences affect how we view everything. And even things we've been taught uh, from spiritual leaders or whoever it might be. I mean, that's humbling to think when I think about all the garbage people have been taught. Uh, hopefully, I'm not teaching you any garbage. So they all affect how we view everything. And, and what, I, what I hope, and I, I hope you're hearing today is this. When we think about our lives the kingdom of God should be a lens, if not the lens, through which we view everything that affects the way that we see everything. Because that's the message of Jesus. The gospel of God is what he came proclaiming. That the time is fulfilled in him. The kingdom of God is at hand because he is within reach. And repent and believe in the gospel. Believing that Jesus is the promised king should affect our lives. It should affect our goals. The reality of an eternal kingdom that we are created for should be the most important factor in the goals we have for our lives. It should affect our Bible study. The fact that this was central to the message of Jesus and is really central to the entire Bible should be something we read all scripture through the lens of. It should affect our relationships. That my marriage is first about the picture of Christ in the church and his eternal kingdom. My relationship with my children is primarily about them and their eternal father. Every relationship I have is not primarily about me and what I view of them, but what God thinks of them. Our money. I mean, if I believe there's eternal kingdom, then that should affect how I invest my money. I want to invest in what is eternal. My time, I want my time to be used for things that matter, not for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but for eternity. And even my feelings. I don't have to be afraid when I understand that there is a king who is ruling and reigning. My self-worth, my well-being should be affected and shaped by the reality that I have been called a son or daughter of God. And that's who I am. And this is not something that's been told to us by a well-meaning, endearing, inspirational figure, but this is something that has been said to us by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the king of eternity who came, who died, who rose again, showing his power, who has ascended to the throne, and who will return to call his sons and daughters home for eternity. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for King Jesus. And I pray that we would view everything and light of the reality of the kingdom 
of God. And the king, Jesus. The time that we've waited for is fulfilled in him. The kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus has come to us and he's within reach of every one of us in this room and online this morning. So may we repent and believe in the good news of God. May we as Christians depend and revolve our life on that truth daily. Perhaps there's somebody who they've been king. They've been Lord. They would see today the kingdom of God is here. It's true. And they would trust in you. Because the good news is that the king was on the cross and our sin was on him on the cross and it was buried with him in death. And as he rose to eternal life, he has promised those of us who repent and believe eternal life, ruling and reigning in heaven. May we live our life to that reality this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.